Well, a few surprises in the green market this week. Some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows. It was the best of times and the worst of times. Because of the volatility, they even expanded the trading limits on wheat that it got so volatile this week, up to 90 cents. That was midweek. We'll talk about that with Coley and Kavanaugh. The guys are brought to you each week by the Allen County Farm Bureau, made possible by the support of the Allen County Farm Bureau. And that is the key word, support, because all the big wins on key food issues they only happen when you support the farm families that feed us with a membership. So please consider it. Go online to itpaystobeamember.org. Well, guys, you know, one of the pretty remarkable things this week, certainly, David, I think the doldrums we've been in in the export market when China has been buying almost exclusively out of South America until this week. And then all of a sudden, David, it was like a flurry coming at us with the export sales this week. Sure was. And do you think they might have known the Fed is going to raise interest rates and dollar was going to climb like a rocket ship taking off? That's why they bought so much. You know, 745 is quite a significant number on the bees. Now, it's not a million metric tons, but it's still a great number. Corn, okay, fine, 314, wheat, 237. But John, China buying of sorghum, 91 million tons. China's going nuts buying sorghum. Yeah, yeah, they love sorghum, you know. And, they, and last year we said the U.S. might run out of us because China was buying so much. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Does this, you know, we keep hearing about the softness in the economy in China. We talk about all the soybeans, et cetera, they're taking out of Brazil. And the corn now coming out of Brazil, yeah, they continue to show up and they continue to buy beans out of the U.S. And you have to ask yourself, is demand over there possibly even greater than what we think it is? Just asking well, the question. They're having a horrendous typhoon hitting China, and it's supposed to be almost all of Eastern Asia has already been hit. And so with the typhoon hitting, that's going to play hob with their crops. So no wonder they want to buy stuff. Well, they're also concerned about our weather here. And I understand it's been reported anyhow that they bought some of these new crop soybeans because they're just concerned about the weather and what might happen, and they want to get some ownership to protect themselves. Right. Kind of makes some sense. You know, Stone X broke it down. It was the flash sales, I think, you know, that were really so remarkable this week. And certainly that's going to show up in next week's export sales reports. But Stone X kind of broke it down for us. A total of 909,460 metric tons, all are for the new crop marketing year and that brings uh, this week's total new crop flash soybean sales to 1 million 787,460 metric tons or about 65.7 million bushels that is a bunch that is a to the weather david and the concerns over it you know, we have been really concerned and justifiably so, you know, with some of the hot, dry temperatures that have just been scorching across the country this past week. What do we have, like five or six days of it this week? Good news is, I guess, right. is that it's beginning to come down some. But one of the big concerns was, obviously, is, is that the soil moisture had dried up to the point that even if you did have a good rain, it really wasn't going to recharge the soil to any extent. So what are you hearing, David, about the weather forecast going forward? Going forward, I'm hearing we're going to, you know, see some rain today yet. Tomorrow, Monday and Tuesday, it's going to be drier, but it's going to be cooler. And that's what we need is some cooler temperatures because we've got really high humidity in the air right now. And this cooling humidity is really great to get the dew that we're getting. Now, we are looking, though, at the possibility of derecho. I'm not going to belabor it. I'm just going to say that this whole weather system could bring very high winds across eastern Iowa, 
northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, and top out around western Indiana. Now, everybody is asking, why is El Nino doing this to us? Because it wasn't supposed to be this way, but there's other influences on the weather, like the ocean temperature right now that I said last week. Yeah, derecho, that's kind of the last thing we need. Straight line winds like that, knocking down a bunch of corn just before pollination. And John, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, is, is that we're really looking at that weather forecast going into the pollination period. You're connected with uh, people both to the northern part of the state, but also you've got some friends that you talk to on a regular basis that have crops to the south. So in terms of the pollination period, what, what are you hearing as you talk to your farmer friends? Well, of course, uh, when it comes to Indiana, the, you know, we're right in the middle of it right now. So this is a crucial time for Indiana in terms of uh, pollinating. And you have to ask yourself, this the extreme heat that we've had here uh, this past week. It came during uh, the peak of pollination, at least for Indiana. And, and actually, when you look at the entire Midwest, you know, you still have to throw basically the whole corn crop in there. So I guess I'm wondering how much damage that may have done. I'm going to be very interested in the conditions report when it comes out Monday. Some people are saying it's going to take a sharp turn to the worst. Well, I still have trouble understanding that because <laughs> I'm looking out my back door, but I don't see from a standpoint of what the conditions around here have really gotten any worse or certainly not very much worse. I still find this whole thing kind of confusing, and it's also kind of interesting. You can put this in the for what it's worth category, but July was the world's hottest month ever on record. And I think that we made it through fairly well here in the state of Indiana, but again, you know, I think part of the reason it's confusing is is that this crop went in over the stretch of about a six-week period, and it seems like the stuff that got in early is pollinating now. I see some stuff out there in some fields that really looks pretty rugged in terms of the corn crop, and I mean uneven and uh, not, not even tasseling yet, which will probably, if it continues to develop, won't be into pollination maybe about the next 10 to 14 days. So, uh, yeah, going to be really interesting to watch how this thing unfolds. But David, you were mentioning something to me that we were having a conversation about the ears that even though the corn crop in some areas seems to be a lot shorter than normal, the ears seem to still be pretty reasonable. Yes, I'm seeing that consistently across the belt, even the western part of the belt on Twitter. They're showing that quite a bit. Now, the worst fields where you get the heat, there's quite a few ears in each field that is dry and not performing very well. But there's also a substantial amount of ears that are looking very good. But when I look here at Wisconsin, Minnesota, Indiana, and Ohio, the ears, even on the shorter corn stalks, look very good at this point. So it's Hmm. good news for the corn farmers here in the eastern Corn Belt. One of the other things moving the market this week, helping make this market as volatile as it was, uh, certainly didn't need that, but were the headlines coming out of Ukraine. And certainly after Russia decided to pull out of the Black Sea Green Deal, everything got a little bit crazy all of a sudden. So those headlines really making a big difference. And John, the International Monetary Fund is estimating that all of the business that's going on there in Ukraine, they're estimating that about 10 to 15 percent increase in global grain prices as a result of all the difficulties there and the grain exports, the difficulty in getting it out of the country and out of the Black Sea region. I don't know that we've necessarily seen that manifest itself just yet. So is that something that's on the horizon? No, that's kind of a hard question to answer. I think it makes sense to expect that kind of a price increase, but I need to know what their parameters are. What what time period are they comparing? And see it on a graph somehow. Because I don't want to say yet we've hit the peak on stuff. But on the other hand, depending upon how the weather goes and the crop goes, 
that might be an exaggeration. I find the whole thing very confusing. Guys, I don't have any answers. I got a lot of questions. What do you think? <laughs> David? <laughs> I, I think what we really have to focus on right now was the fact that Ukraine used these drones to bomb part of Moscow. I thought was a psychological victory for Ukraine. Ukraine's looking for anything at all to get on the front page of the news, but they're also looking to get grain out of uh, Danube and Odessa, but then Russia bombed them right away as soon as they were talking about that. I don't know. It just seems like you make two steps forward and get blown back about a mile. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's turn our attentions toward livestock. Have you heard about the herd? Get it, David? I bet, David, I bet you've heard. I bet, I bet you've been tracking this one. The, the hog and poultry people are beefing about the cattle price right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Stop, stop. I see the cattle up at these price levels, you know, the highest ever, and, you know, for, for the recent uh, 20 years. And I, I like the fact that we're on 180 to 190 on the cattle. But then when I look at hogs, they're like 77 cents right now, and poultry's a lot cheaper, too. And I think what's happening is, as housewives are looking at the grocery stores, they're seeing these beef prices so high, and some some sense they're switching over to pork and chicken away from beef. And, you know, the cattle people right now, even though they're facing droughts and high temperatures, that market has a very strong uptrend. Well, and after the massive liquidation over the past couple of years, what I'm hearing is that ranchers are now beginning to run the numbers, maybe start rebuilding the nation's herd. Yeah, I think that's very likely because your feeders normally for the Plain States come from the Plain States. But I'll tell you, Missouri raises feeders, Kentucky raises feeder cattle. These feedlots would like to feed them out at these prices, especially if the corn sure. market doesn't go absolutely crazy, which yeah. it could. And the bean meal market, yeah, it wants to go up some more too, but it's off the highs. So I would uh, be in the cattle business. I would definitely look to buy some feeder cattle at this point, yes. Yeah, probably a good idea. All right, come to the part of the program where uh, we just uh, have uh, resolved that uh, we can't get out of here without John Cavanaugh saying, I've got one final word. So we just decided, okay, we're going to give him the final word. (laughs) We're going to make it a thing, and we're just going to step aside each week and (laughs) give John a few minutes. So, Cavanaugh, what do you got? Well, I've just got a comment to make. We've talked a lot about volatility. We've had a very, very volatile summer. A combination of tight old crop supplies and, of course, the Ukraine-Russian thing has really confused everybody. And then the weather's confused us even more. And that's all led to extreme volatility. I would just like to point out that volatility brings opportunity. you got to think about that. We've had great opportunities uh, that have shown themselves recently and they could show themselves again. But all I can say is, is keep an eye on that and take advantage of it. There's some great chances out there to be selling forward grain. Thanks, guys. The visit with Coley and Kavanaugh made possible by support from the Allen County Farm Bureau. Indiana farm families are working daily to feed our nation, and you know that makes it hard to go to the state capitol or even Washington, D.C. to talk to and educate lawmakers about the issues that affect the production of the most abundant food supplies anywhere in the world. Now, when you support the Farm Bureau with a membership, you're supporting the farmers that feed us. And you don't have to be a farmer to be a member of the Farm Bureau, and you get a whole lot of great benefits from Support your local Farm Bureau with a membership. Go online to itpaystobeamember.org. Podcasts by Federated Media.